Guys, for the next two weeks, we're going to be doing a series that we're calling I Speak Jesus. And the reason that we're doing that is because the next two weeks, Peter is addressing how we talk to one another. He's talking about our speech. He's talking about our words. And the, he speaks to husbands and he says, hey, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. And he speaks to wives. He says, wives, honor your husband. <clears throat> and then almost immediately begins to address something that's absolutely foundational for us to live out godly lives, and, that, and, and that's how we speak to one another. And everybody look at me. What he talks about is specifically how we speak to one another in conflict. And guys, I'll be honest with you. If there's ever been a sermon, I've stood up in a pulpit and not had mastered as this one. And so don't get discouraged by this. It's a, it's a, it's a good understanding of how we're supposed to relate to the world, but it is different and it is difficult. So y'all hang with me. Now, let me say one more thing. <clears throat> Whenever you hear a pastor talk about like our tongue and our speech and, um, and how we engage with one another in conflict, I think the temptation is for you to sit there and hear sermons like this and, and go, amen, preacher. I know some people that need to hear this looking at the person to your left or to your right. Don't do that. I'm guessing that all of us in the room in some shape, form, or fashion aren't walking in the scripture well. And so apply it to your own life. Now here's, here's a question for you is, why how we speak to one another is central to godly living? Okay, why? Why is how we speak to one another essential to godly living. Well, here's why. Because over and over again, the Bible talks about how there's one part of our body, and even though it's really small, it has an enormous impact on the outcome of our lives, and that's our tongues, specifically our words, our speech. In James chapter three, again, we'll be in 1 Peter in a second. I'll read James chapter three, verse four to you. Or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder where the pilot wants him to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the course of one's whole life on fire. That's intense. James talking about the power of the tongue. He gives two analogies. The first one is a big ship. He's like, it's this massive ship, but it's steered and directed by the, this tiny little thing called a rudder. He says, your life's the same way. That, that your whole, the direction of your life is steered and directed by your tongue. Then he gives the analogy of a forest fire. You've got this fire that sets a whole forest ablaze. It's started by one spark. He said, the same is true for your life, that you can set the whole course of your life on fire by your tongue. And it's true. And the uh, Proverbs 18, 21 <clears throat> describes just how powerful our tongues are. Watch this. Proverbs 18, 21, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Read that. <laughs> the tongue has the power of life and death. We're gonna talk more about that next week, but the idea behind that is when you speak, your words are either creating an environment of life and flourishing, or it's creating an environment of death. It's one of the two. And so we're gonna talk more about that next week. 
But before we jump into the text today, there's one more verse that I think takes it to another level about the power of our words, and that's James chapter one, verse 26. James says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Okay, so <laughs> that's when it started getting convicting for me because what the Bible just said is there's a direct connection between your salvation and you living out having a godly tongue. That there's a direct connection between your salvation and you taming your tongue and knowing when to speak and not to speak and what to speak and how to speak in a way that's bringing life and not death. And so let's, with that in mind, let's jump into 1 Peter 3, 9. Again, he speaks to husbands and wives, and then he immediately begins to talk about our speech. Look at verse nine. He says, do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you have been called, that she may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Okay, so Peter says, look, one of the ways that we are called to live a godly life is that we are to talk differently and speak to one another differently than the world does. Specifically, listen, don't miss this specifically to how we respond with our tongues, how we respond with our mouths when we're in conflict. That's what he's talking about. Now, how do we typically respond when someone speaks evil against us? That's a phrase that means they slander you. They say something slanderous about you or evil. How do we typically respond? Well, our natural response is in the flesh. When somebody slanders us, it hurts, and so we want to speak evil against them in return. It talks about when someone reviles us. What's our natural response? Well, revile means that it's something negative or something hurtful. So when someone says something negative or hurtful to you, what's your natural response? You're gonna say something negative or hurtful in return. But go back to 1 Peter 3, 9, and look at how the scripture calls you and me to respond when someone speaks evil to you or someone reviles you. First Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Did y'all catch that? Oh, y'all just have the sermon down, I guess. Well, let's worship, all right? says, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. When somebody says something evil against you, when someone reviles you, don't return that. On the contrary, you, you return it with a, with a blessing. Okay? Um, that's not easy to do. Okay? So I think here's what this might look like, what this is literally saying, what this might look like. Someone says to you, <clears throat> is uh, somebody comes up to you, they're angry at you, whatever, they say, you're a jerk, you're a jerk. They insult you, they slander you, they speak evil against you. Um, again, typical fleshly response is, oh, you think I'm a jerk? Well, let's talk about you for a minute. <laughs> and then say some things about them. But what the scripture's saying is that don't return evil for evil, don't return reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, you bless. So what that's saying, somebody says you're a jerk, that your response 
is something to the effect of, I- I'm sorry that you feel that way about me. I really am. For anything I've done that has made you feel that way, I'm genuinely sorry. Will you forgive me? You're a good person and you don't deserve that. That's what it looks like to return reviling with blessing. <clears throat> so let's bring this a little closer to home. Again, right before this, Peter's talking about husbands and wives, and I don't think it's any accident that the next thing he talks about is reviling and you know evil. Um, so again, husbands and wives, then he immediately says, don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. So let's talk about those of us that are married in the room. Let's say, you know, you're... Um, we'll say your, your wife says something really horrible to you and she looks at you and she gets really angry and she gets in her flesh and in her sin, she says, you're a terrible husband, okay? Well, if your wife were to say that to you, that would hurt. That would be really wounding. But the flesh, you respond with negative reviling in return. But what the scripture's saying is what God is calling us to as a godly man is to actually in that moment respond with a blessing by something like, I'm sorry, for anything I've done that's, that's caused that. You're, you're an amazing wife and you don't deserve that. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't feel right, does it? <laughs> it doesn't feel right. Some of y'all are probably already thinking, well, you know, Matt, are you saying we're just supposed to let people run all over us? I would imagine some of you are sitting here thinking that uh, and processing all the ways that you shouldn't have to do that. Some of y'all are probably thinking, Matt, that's ridiculous. If my husband insults me, I'm supposed to respond to his insult with a blessing. That's exactly what Peter just said. Go look it up. And by the way, that's exactly what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said also in Matthew 5, 44. Check it out. Red letters here. Jesus is speaking. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies And what? Bless them that curse you. There it is. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. That's Sermon on the Mount. That's like foundational Christianity. That's one of the most foundational, pivotal verses that our whole faith is built on to bless people that curse you. Okay? And so... It's not easy. As a matter of fact, it might, I think you can make an argument, it might be the hardest thing in Christianity to do. But it's not a fringe concept. It's not a take it or leave it kind of concept. Jesus is saying it's Christianity 101. And James, again, takes it another step further and says that one of the primary evidences of your salvation is 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. And by the way, who called you? Why did Peter say, hey, this is crazy, but remember, we were called to this. Who called us to this? Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ did, okay? All right, so with the rest of our time today, I want to answer one question. How do we do this? Right? How do you do this? How in the world do you respond to unkind words spoken to you with kind words of blessing in return? How do you do that? Somebody insults you, speaks evil against you, 
How do you respond with a blessing? That is incredibly difficult to do. How do you do it? Well, Peter gives us two clues, one in the scripture right before and one in the scripture right after that gives us some insight and how we have the ability to do it. And so here's the thing. There's two, if you're taking notes today, there's two things that have to happen in order for you to be a person that lives out 1 Peter 3, 9, that you return reviling an insult with blessing. There's two things. Number one, number one, you gotta change your beliefs. There's a belief you and I have, a lot of us, most of us maybe, that we gotta change. And the other thing is you gotta change your mindset. There's a mindset change that has to occur in order for you to be able to actually live this out. So let's look at the first one. What do I mean that if I'm gonna respond to insults with blessing, I have to change my belief, okay? Well, right after Peter says, don't respond evil for evil, repay, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, to this you have been called. And then he makes an interesting statement. First Peter 3, 9, you don't pay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you have been called, watch what he says, that you may obtain a blessing. So what Peter's saying here is, look, when somebody insults you, and you actually respond by blessing them, as crazy as it sounds, the scripture says that that is when you start receiving blessing. Because not only are you not sinning, that's part of the blessing, but there's actually additional blessing that occurs to you when you respond kindly to someone speaking unkindly to you. Okay, First Peter 3.10, Peter directly quotes Psalm 34.12. Okay, so in the next verse, He directly quotes a psalm, and that psalm is talking about how to have a good life, how to have good days, okay? Let's read nine again. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. Why? That you may attain a blessing. And then in verse 10, he quotes the psalmist who said, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Here's his point. You want to be blessed? He's like, if you want to have a good life, which doesn't mean trouble-free, but it means a joyful life. If you want to see good days, he goes, here's how you do it. You respond to unkind words with kind words. That's what you do, okay? And so here's the question. Do you believe that? Deep down inside, Do you believe that it's the best course of action when someone reviles you for you to bless them? I would make the argument that we don't. It's the reason that we so consistently revile in return, the reason we so consistently repay evil for evil is somewhere deep inside of us, we just don't believe that the best course of action is to respond with blessing. And by the way, how's that working out for us? Are we seeing good days because we're responding to reviling with reviling? Uh, No. So let me give you a a marriage illustration. Let's say Jennifer and I are in an argument and I'm gonna gonna pretend like she says something that she's never said to me, okay? But I just try to think of something really bad, okay? So let's imagine Jennifer, my wife, we're in an argument, she's getting angry and in her anger, she lashes out and she says, "Um, Matt, you're the worst person in the world, okay? And I'm standing there and I'm like, 
Okay, um, she's obviously angry. Um, she just sinned in her anger, and <laughs> I'm hurt and I'm wounded because I'm not the worst person in the world. I mean, maybe top 20, but I'm not the worst person in the world. And so because she was just so mean right there, I'm completely justified in saying whatever I want to say. And so I make the decision to revile her in return. So what would happen if in that moment I looked at her and I said, well, you know how I know that I'm not the worst person in the world? Because you're the worst person in the world. <laughs> and that dress makes your backside look big. <laughs> I would never say that in a million years, ever. But let me ask you a question. If I did say that, what are the odds that she repents in that moment? What are the odds if I actually do that, I'm gonna receive a blessing? What are the odds of after I say that to her, actually, you're the worst person in the world and that dress makes your backside look big. What are the odds of her looking at me and with a repentant heart saying, you know what? My husband, you're right. I realize now the error of my ways. I've sinned against you, so please forgive me while I go change this dress, right? What are the odds of that being a response? Zero. What are the odds of me having good days after that? Zero. Okay. But what if she insults me? She says something hurtful to me. And by the grace of God and the power of the spirit in my life, in that moment, I respond to that insult with a blessing. That in that moment, somehow, someway, by the spirit of God that lives within me, she says, Matt, you're the, you're the worst person in the world. And I look back at her and immediately say, hey, you know, there's obviously something I'm doing that's causing that. And look, you, you definitely don't deserve that. And so... Um, Let's talk about it. Please help me understand because I want to be a better husband for you. You're worth it. If I actually responded that way, if I respond in kindness when she was being unkind, there's like a solid chance because she has the spirit of God inside of her that she does repent. But if I respond in kindness, there's a decent chance that she realizes in that moment when I responded in kindness that she was speaking um, in a really negative way to me and then she wants to change that and begins to repent and speak kindly to me. But what Peter's saying is that step number one is you gotta just believe it. You gotta believe that fundamentally on a relational level, the best path forward when someone reviles you is not to revile in return, but to bless. All right, so here's step number two. So step number one, is you gotta change your beliefs. And then step number two, you gotta change your mindset. For you to ever be able to do that, there's some things about in your mind that have gotta shift, they've gotta change, there's some characteristics that you gotta have or you'll never do it, it's just too difficult. And so again, Peter says, talks about reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless this you've been called that you may receive a blessing. Um, in verse seven, he's talking about husbands and wives. And then in verse eight there, right? immediately before the do not repay evil for evil, he gives a list of five mental attributes that are critical for you to be able to do it. He gives a list of five mental attributes 
um, that you have to possess for you to actually be able to live this out. So let's look at verse eight. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now look, I think Peter understood how incredibly hard this was gonna be. And so he's like, look, if you ever have a chance of actually living this out, here's what you gotta do. Number one, you gotta believe it's the best course of action. Number two, you have to have the mind of Christ. You gotta have the mind of Christ. And what was the mind of Christ? Five things. Here they are. Unity of mind. Sympathy. Brotherly love. A tender heart. A humble mind. If you have those five things, you got a shot. Let's walk through them quickly and real quickly. We'll be done. Look at 1 Peter 3.8. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. It's really straightforward, simple thing. When we, when we read unity of mind, we have a tendency to think that, um, that that just means we're supposed to agree with everybody on everything. But that's what it, not what it means. It's a phrase that means you strive to not be an argumentative person. Well, it sounds really simple, but how you doing? It just means that you're a person um, that is constantly striving not to argue, but for unity, it's the goal. The goal is unity. As Christians, we're never gonna agree on everything. As Christians, actually, we're always gonna have disagreement, but if you have this mindset, you're gonna be the kind of person that strives for cooperation even in the midst of disagreement. Some people love conflict. Some people hang out in conflict. And the scripture's saying that's what, not what unity of mind does. Unity of mind is the kind of person that's constantly seeking reconciliation. Number two, this is a big one. First Peter 3, 8, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind and sympathy. Now, guys, this one was convicting to me. Sympathy, okay? What the scripture's saying, check this out. What the scripture's saying is that for you and I to actually be able to respond to unkind words with kind words of blessing, we have to be sympathetic towards the person who is saying the unkind words, Okay, so here's what sympathetic means. Sympathetic comes from the Greek word sympathes. Everybody look at me. And that means to share the same feeling. So keep in mind, he's talking about people that spoke evil against us. He's talking about people that insulted us. And then he says, if you're gonna be able to respond with kindness and blessing you gotta have sympathy for the person that just said that to you and you gotta share the same feelings of them. And so here's what that means. When somebody reviles you, your first reaction is not to speak evil to them in return, but when somebody speaks evil against you, our first God reaction is to try to understand where they're coming from. Try to understand their perspective. Try to understand what's causing them to feel that way. It's huge, it's massive. You wanna change your marriage, you wanna change your friendships, you wanna change your employment relationships, learn this skill. Because when a, and, and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in this uh, skill, because when a, when a person insults us and, and hurts us, it's insulting, it's wounding, it does not feel good, so what do we do? We lash out or we defend ourselves. 
or we give all the reasons why what they just said is not true. But the Christ-like response when somebody hurts us with their words is to be sympathetic, which means our first response is to try to understand why they are feeling what they're feeling. That's what the word means. Go look it up. And I'll give you one example of one example, because it's the only example I got of how I actually lived this out. Several years ago, I had a, a buddy of mine that I respect sit me down and he said, Matt, I, I feel like um, that you're entitled, that you're entitled. And he said, he explained why, but briefly, but I'm not gonna go into it. But the point is, is that when he said that to me, I was deeply hurt. Because one of the things that, guys, I have tried so hard to do in my life as a pastor and as just a person is not to be entitled. And I could, I could give you specific things, specific actions that were significant sacrifices on my part that I've done over the years to not be entitled but to lift other people up. So when he said that, it hurt. I was wounded. And what was my first response? My first response, my initial desire, was to begin to tell him all the ways that he was wrong. What I wanted to do is say, man, that's just not true. I'm not entitled because of dot, 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 dot that I have not done. And I'm not entitled because of dot, dot, dot that I have done. That's what I wanted to say to him but that's not being sympathetic. That's being argumentative. So when he said that, even though I completely disagreed with it, by the grace of God in that moment, and it is by the grace of God because I did not want to, by the grace of God, I thought, well, this guy's a smart guy. He's a godly guy. I've done something. And so by the spirit of the Lord, I said, man, I'm so sorry. I typically fight really hard not to do that. And first of all, please forgive me. I'd love to hear your heart on where you see me doing that so I can be a better leader and a better man. Whew, that's not easy to do, folks. Especially when somebody is saying something that you completely disagree with about you. But it is the calling on your life. Let's keep going. First Peter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. We're going to do this real quick. It's super simple, but it's key. He, who's Peter talking to? He's talking to Christians. And so he says, hey, you need to make sure that you have the mindset of brotherly love. That's a phrase that simply means love someone like a brother. So who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians. Question, theological question. How are you and I in the church... And even in our marriages, supposed to relate to one another as fellow Christians. Okay, one of the primary ways we're to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not just random people doing church together. We're not random people that happen to be married. You are a brother and you are a sister in Christ Jesus. You've been adopted in the family of God. You're going to spend eternity in heaven with these people where you're gonna have perfect relationships. And I, I mean, I think Peter is just simply saying, hey, we forget that. that. That husband that just reviled you, he's not just some random guy. He is your brother in Christ that you're gonna spend eternity with. 
That wife that just reviled you, she's not just some random woman you're married to. She is your sister in the Lord. You're in the family of God. And I know that you get that, but we don't walk in it. But if we do, what's gonna happen is that when conflict arises, because this is a person that you love and you're in the family of God with, your, your brother, your sister in Christ, in that moment, you're gonna fight for them. You're gonna have the desire to fight for them, not fight against them. Not wanna fight against them as an enemy, but you fight for them as a brother. Number eight, <clears throat> in my opinion, these last two are the two biggest ones. I think I could make an argument that this one might be the biggest one. First Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. Everybody look at that word, a tender heart. You have any hope whatsoever of responding to unkind words of blessing, you have to have a tender heart. And everybody look at me because I'm gonna tell you what it means. Similar to the word sympathy. But a tender heart is a word that means that you care deeply about the other person's pain. Now again, we're talking about the context of someone insulting us and reviling us and saying evil against us. But the scripture says that in that moment, you gotta have a tender heart. Which means that you look at this person that's reviling you and insulting you and you actually care about their pain that your heart is so tender that you care more about their pain that caused them to give the insult than you care about your own pain that you just received by them insulting you. It's crazy. But one of the greatest marks of Christian maturity is when you're tender-hearted enough to realize that if a person just insulting, insulted you, that 99.9% .9 of the time, that is coming from a place of pain. It's coming from a place of pain. Hurt people hurt people. And if you have a, a tender heart, instead of arguing them down and telling them why they shouldn't feel that way or inflicting more pain on them, a tender-hearted person is look at the person that just insulted them and goes, man, I know they must be coming from a place of pain. I care about that pain. And so I'm gonna respond in a kind and a gentle way by blessing them because my heart is tender towards them. Why, what if we started actually living this out? What if we actually lived this out with people of different races? What if a person of a different race said something to us that we completely agree, uh, disagree with instead of arguing and defending or getting angry, what if our first reaction was to tenderheartedly try and understand the pain that caused them to say that? That doesn't mean you agree with everything they say. That just means your heart's been softened enough that you care about the person's pain. That's not so hard to do, is it? What about our marriages? Spouse says something hurtful, what if, instead of arguing them down or saying something hurtful in return, what if our first reaction was to tenderheartedly realize my husband, my wife, they're in pain. I care about that. That only happens when your heart is tender. It is not easy to do, but the scripture again, again says to this, you've been called. Last one, 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and the big one, a humble mind. Woo, if you're ever gonna do this crazy verse, 
I think Peter put it last because I think he knew it was foundational to, for it to happen. You gotta be humble. You gotta walk in humility. If you don't walk in humility, you're never gonna do it. You'll always argue people down, okay? Um, there's one verse real quick that I think really defines what humility looks like and gives us the ability to respond in humility is Philippians 2.3. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more important than yourself. Sajma, the only way, the only way you will ever, ever in a million years respond to someone that just insulted you with kindness and blessing is if you have a tender heart and you have a humble mind. And how do you know if you have a humble mind that at the end of the day, you look at that person and you consider them more important than yourself? How crazy does that sound? This person just insulted me and I'm able to respond kindly because I consider them more important than me? Now listen, here's the deal. That is so profoundly contrary to our nature. Everybody look at me. That is so profoundly contrary to our nature that the only way you will ever, ever in a million years do it is when you realize that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. It's the only way you'll do it. Because that is exactly what Jesus did for you. Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more important than yourself. Look at verse five. It says, let that mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So right then and there, he says, hey, this is how you act because this is how Jesus acted. And then he describes it. In verse six, he says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not Count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Sage, when I'm done, listen, how in the world? How in the world when someone doesn't deserve it and they haven't earned it, how in the world do you consider them so important that you respond to their insult with blessing? The only way you'll ever do it is when you realize that when you didn't deserve it and you hadn't earned it and when you were still in your sin, Jesus considered you so important that he responded to your sin with a blessing by dying on the cross for you. That's how you do it. It's the only way. The only way, the only way you'll ever bless someone and consider them more important that doesn't deserve it and hadn't earned it is when deep down inside you realize when I didn't deserve it and I hadn't earned it, he blessed me. He blessed me. Okay, listen. The scripture tells us, and we're gonna talk about this more next week, but the scripture tells us that our tongues hold the power of life and death. Our marriages, 
in our workplaces, in our friendships, and in our world. Let's be a people that use our words to bring life because this world desperately needs it.